It's great to have you here at Faith Church. We love, we love God's presence, but we love reading God's Word together. And so each week we've been having a uh, scripture or a section of scripture that we kind of read together, kind of like a congregational scripture reading, if you will. Today we want to read Isaiah 40 and verse 8. It's on the screen. Why don't you read it out loud with me? Ready? Let's read. True, the grass withers and the wildflowers fade, but our God's word stands firm forever. Turn to at least two people and tell them, let's remix this thing. Go ahead, tell them, tell them, let's remix this thing and you can be seated. Well, we are glad you are here. We are indeed going to be uh, remixing this today. We're, uh, we've been in a series entitled God Never Said That, and we've been looking at phrases that uh, we say God says, but God never said. And it's important, we believe, that we go and look at what God actually said so that we can say and uh, live and move and, and that our lives reflect what God's word actually says. Because like we just read in Isaiah 40 and verse 8, it is God's word that actually lasts forever. His word is true. Other things may come and go. Fades may change. Cultural perspectives are going to shift. Uh, but it is God's word, the truth of the scriptures, that, that actually has an enduring, lasting, uh, uh, true effect that has the power to, to change to change things. How many of you uh, know you can't read everything or believe everything that you read on the internet? Right? Like, like if you have a question, if you're searching for something, you can Google it and you'll get a lot of thoughts and a lot of opinions, but you can't believe everything that you read on the internet. One of my, my favorite uh, fun things that I like to do is read from a website called the Babylon Bee. It's a, a satirical kind of tongue-in-cheek site where they write fake articles, uh, most of the time making fun uh, or, or, or having a lighthearted look at Christian and Christianity and uh, the culture of Christian things. And it actually makes me laugh. I'm not offended by it because it's not true, right? Because like, you don't believe everything that you read on the internet, and it's a good, good laughter, good fun, but what we don't want to do is take everything just at face value. We actually want to be good students, and what we've been doing this series is looking at what God actually said and studying what his word says so that we can move forward and apply it to our lives, because we really have two choices when it comes to people of faith or people who engage in, in the church. You can either be a student, or you will end up being a skeptic. See, see, I think that, that both are asking questions. A student asks a question to learn something. A skeptic just questions everything. There's a difference. One has a posture that says, I want to learn. I, I want to engage. I, I want to I know more, and you're leaning in. The other just questions everything and actually isn't interested in learning anything, just wants to uh, come from a negative perspective. I don't believe that's where we want to be. And, and so today, we're going to remix and relook at all four weeks, asking, uh, looking at some questions, some key questions to help us kind of refrain and re remember and get into our hearts what God did really say and we're doing it uh, kind of hopefully in, in a fun way that helps us be good students. Uh, 
rather than skeptics. And I think as good students, we don't just stop with learning. We don't just stop with hearing. We take it a step further and we become doers of the word. In other words, we don't want to just be students who learn. We want to become students who become practitioners, people who actually put it into practice. You can watch tutorials all day long, but until you actually get out there and do it yourself, all you've got is knowledge. And the Bible says knowledge puffs up. And we've got a lot of arrogant believers who know a lot of scripture, but have not allowed it to transform their life to where they actually look like Jesus. And that's where we want to be. And so we want to study God's word. And, and uh, all through this series, we've really been trying to help people see what God said. And, and, and I think that if we're going to be good students, I'm going to give you some real practical things today for you to help you as you are on this quest to be a good student as opposed to a skeptic, a student that's a practitioner as opposed to just a, a skeptic. And that's this. Number one is, is you got to, got to realize this. There are, are ways you can actually search what's in the Bible. Uh, if you have the Bible app or you go to Bible.com, uh, you, there's a little search feature there. You can type in a keyword and see all of the scriptures come up that relate to what the Bible says about that thing. You want to know what the Bible says about money? Type in money. See what the Bible says. You want to know what God says about forgiveness? Type in forgiveness. See what God says. You want to know what God says about love? Type in love, and you're going to get a whole bunch of scriptures that you yourself could read and study what God's Word says. I, I want to encourage you to take advantage, to do those things, to use that to help you be a better a better student. You can, um, one of the things that I encourage everybody to do is eventually buy a, buy a study Bible, a Bible that has some study notes, other things in it, like that's in paper form uh, that you can read and look at and examine and, well, well study. My favorite, uh, and the one that I recommend to everybody, is the Spirit-Filled Life Study Bible. You can buy it on Amazon. They have leather-bound or, hard or hard, hardback. Uh, hardback is much cheaper, I'd encourage you to go get a good study Bible so that you can study and read what the scriptures say for you. God wants you to get into his word. And the last thing that I'll say about being a student over a skeptic is I want to encourage you to pick up a journal. We sell these life journals here at the church. They're $8, which is about what we pay for them. And in the front of them is a two different reading plans to help you know, okay, I'm going to start reading here, and then I'm just going to read this next. You can start your own reading plan, but it teaches you how to journal using an acronym called SOAP, Scripture, Observation, Application, Prayer. I've been doing my own devotional life in this form for years now, and it's helped me stay a student that doesn't just learn something but reads God's word and figures out, okay, how am I going to apply this to my life today? Today. Why? Because we don't want to just be students. We want to be students who become practitioners and to begin to do those things. And so our, our encouragement to you is that you would become indeed a, a student of God's word, growing and learning as you go. And so today, we thought it would be kind of neat to go back, remix through answer some specific questions as it relates to the content that we covered each week and uh, just see how we can study and learn. And we're going to look at what God's word actually says 
within each of these questions and things that, that we talk about. And today I'm joined uh, by our communications pastor, Clayton Whitson. He's going to be kind of helping lead us today. A new dad for the fourth time, baby girl born. Yes. And uh, Clayton did the delivery at home. It was awesome. We call him Dr. Clayton now. He's He's it, the man. It was not part of the plan, in case you were wondering. So I've had many people say, congratulations, followed quickly by, I have so, so many, many questions. questions. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. I still have a lot of questions. Yes. So, well, great. Well, um, as Pastor said, we're going to look through the last, po- last four weeks of covering this series. Uh, and by the way, if you want to follow along uh, on the Central Hub, if you click on Sermon Notes, uh, and that's faithchurchks.org, find Sermon Notes, uh, you will find a brief uh, exactly what I'm kind of going through. If you want to read along or take notes yourself, that's available. So, well, let's just jump right in. Week one, four weeks ago, uh, we covered uh, the topic or the phrase that we looked at that God never said was... God never gives me, gives me more than I can handle. And while that is can oftentimes be a, a quick offering to somebody who's going through a lot of stuff, it's not always real practical help, right? And because the truth is, he does give us more than we can handle sometimes. Yep. So the bottom line from that message was some things are over our head because they aren't meant to stay in our hands. Um, and so there's a couple scriptures that went along with that. I want to read those, yeah. and then uh, and then we've got some questions here that go along with that. So uh, the scripture, first scripture is 1 Peter 5, 7 that says, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. And the second one is 2 Corinthians 12, 9 and 10, and it says, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weakness, in insults, in hardship, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Mm. And so those are a couple of passages you highlighted. Um, So we've got some questions, and I'm actually going to throw three of them at you real quick because they kind of all pertain together. Uh, related to kind of suffering. So uh, in your message, you said that suffering is not your choice and often as a result of someone else's choice. So how do we, uh, how do we forgive someone who's hurt us? Mm. Uh, Second, kind of related to that is what happens if you don't forgive them? And then what if you don't forgive yourself? Mm, It's great. Forgiveness is such a, a key component to life. Um, and it's such an important one. Uh, I want to give a, a resource to you that you can go back and, and listen to. Earlier this summer, we did a series called Freedom. And in that, I did a message called Stacking Stones. And we talked the entirety of the message about forgiveness and the importance of forgiveness. And, um, and so I want to encourage you to go back and look at that. Because suffering, as we talked about, sometimes things... Uh, we, we say God never gives us more than we can handle, but the truth of the matter is there are many things that we just can't handle in life. And suffering is one of those things that we have a hard time with because it's not, suffering rarely comes as a result of our own decisions. Someone else made the decision. Something else happened, and we have no control over it. We're just walking through it. And it's an important thing, and a lot of times suffering comes as a result of somebody else's decision. 
where they've done something against us to hurt us, and we're left with that pain and left wondering, what do we, what do, we do with that? How, how do we mess with that, or what, what should we do? I thought about Colossians chapter 3, and uh, starting in verse 12, it says this, therefore. Now, anytime you see the word therefore in Scripture, it's a good idea to ask, what is it therefore? Because it's referring to something that happened before what it's saying right now. And the, the apostle just got done writing and talking about, you need to put on Christ. You had an old way of doing things, but now Christ is your identity. Christ is your, your mode. Christ is the center of your life. So do things this way. Put on something different. Do it this way instead of that way. And he says, therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. Let me ask you a question. Is there anything God isn't forgiving in your life? Is there anything that the payment of the debt that God hasn't already paid for? He, he paid for, for it all. In fact, forgiveness and the terms that the Bible uses when it talks about it is actually an accounting term. In other words, that where everything is accounted for, where everything that uh, needs to be paid has been paid. And when Jesus looks at you, when God looks at you as a follower of Jesus, he looks at your life and says, the debt that you've incurred uh, against the law has now been paid because of what Jesus did. Like, forgiven. The debt has been forgiven. It's been forgiven. And Scripture tells us, as we just read in Colossians, put on Christ, and therefore, if you have a grievance against anyone, forgive them. A lot of times we talk about, and when we think about forgiveness, we think that it means that automatically we give them forgiveness and we're validating what they did, meaning that it was right. That's not what scripture says. It didn't say that there wasn't a wrong committed. It just says to forgive it. It doesn't say that uh, as soon as you give forgiveness that you gotta become best friends again. BFFFs, sorry, there was an extra F in there. <laughs> it wasn't a curse word, I promise. <laughs> like, it doesn't mean that because you forgive them automatically, they need to come back into your life in the same context, if in at all. There are some toxic relationships and toxic people, they don't need to be back in your life. Ain't nobody got time for that. That's not what God is saying. But what he is saying is that forgiveness is a gift that you can give. And most of the time, it's a gift that you give for your own sake. Why? Because forgiveness, don't miss this, is for giving. It's meant to be given. The purpose is that you would give it. It's for giving. And oftentimes, we don't forgive ourselves and we don't forgive other people except for the fact that God has already given forgiveness in that mode. And because Christ has forgiven and we put on Christ, then we also can give that forgiveness. In other words, you have within you Christ who is the embodiment and the power to give the forgiveness. 
Like, it's in you. You can do it. Most of the time, we choose not to because bitterness has come in and taken deep root in our lives. And anytime we withhold forgiveness, it's like drinking poison, expecting somebody else to die for it. But it's only poisoning us. Well, if I don't give forgiveness, does that mean I go to hell? What if I can't forgive myself? Does that mean I'm going to hell? No, it doesn't. It just means you're going to experience a lot of hell right now. But you don't have to. So why? Is it a process? Absolutely. Healing and restoration and allowing God to heal the wounds, that takes time. But forgiveness is a choice to give somebody a pardon on something they can't pay for anyways. Can they really pay you back for what they've done? No. They can't, just like you can't. That's why it's a gift. And it's really a gift that you give yourself. When you give forgiveness, it's like God comes, unlocks the cage that you've put yourself in, opens the door, and allows you to walk out. But too many of us just sit in the cage, and we don't need to. And sometimes we're suffering, and we're experiencing suffering, and God is saying, I've given you forgiveness. I've given you the ability to forgive. Quit holding yourself hostage. The door is open. Walk in freedom instead. And there's a choice that we have to make to choose that, and that helps us in that process. Man, that's so good. It's like the most Christ-like thing we can do yeah. is, is freely forgive. Yeah, so true. Hard, so, yeah. but, yeah. but so, so, so Christ-like. Yeah. Wow. Um, well, that's, yeah, is, is incredible. The, um, so as we, we take that and kind of transition into week two, yeah. um, because it's easy sometimes to think evil of other people, which plays into week two, is what do we think is the core evil? Um, a lot of times we say, this is what we talked about week two, that money is the root of all evil. And um, so, uh, which we know God never said that. Yep. And so the bottom line from that, that week is what we grip tightly with our hands creates a death grip on our heart, choking contentment. Yep. And the passage that, uh, that you looked at was 1 Timothy 6.10, and it says, for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves yeah. with many griefs. And um, man, so, so that was a great message. Uh, I have a couple questions here. Okay, got two of them. Okay, man, so first one is, and this is, I think so many of us can relate to this. How do we trust that God can provide when we feel like he didn't in the past? So, so good. Um, one of the, let me, let me tell you a story from my own life. Uh, when I was getting ready to go into to college, um, I knew the cost uh, for that year that I had yet to, to pay, that the cost that I was going to owe in order to get through the full year was $5,000 to get through the, the schooling that I needed. And I was sitting in a church service over the summer at our church, and uh, there was a, a particular person um, uh, that would be well-known probably in many, uh, definitely in the circles where I, I lived, and many of you, if I said the name, would, would 
recognize the name and face from TV. Uh, and he was preaching uh, about uh, how important it is to trust God, to give. And uh, the Bible says that when you give, it'll be given back to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. I could get into my Pentecostal voice if you want me to. Uh, and, and he was talking about, here, here is the, the bottom line, that there is something called a hundredfold return on the seeds that you sow. That if you give, God will 100, bring a hundred percent return into your life. Hundredfold. And uh, I remember in that moment, I, I kind of tuned him out for a minute, and, and my brain works a little slow when it comes to math. I, so I started figuring, okay, I, I, if I need $5,000, what is the seed that I need to give today to guarantee a hundredfold return? So I asked the Lord, Lord, do you want me to give $50 today? Because I knew I needed 5000 And the Lord said, yeah, give it. Now, I had just barely probably over $100 in my checking account. It was a big gift for me to give in that moment. And man, I gave it, and I was praying, Lord, I thank you that you're going to make this a hundredfold return back into my life. I claim it right now, and I was praying, and I was thinking like, all right, here we go, $5,000. Let's go, let's go, let's go. And uh, the next day, I went to the mailbox, and there wasn't a check, right? Like, <laughs> Like I called the admissions up. Hey, did you get did you get any money for me? Did anybody make up? Nope, nope. You still owe. Oh, all right, cool. No, just checking, just hanging up, walking in faith, walking in faith, walking in faith. Do you know what happened, man? I never got a five thousand dollar check. <laughs> all year long, it was a struggle to see God provide. All year. I remember being embarrassed being called into the office because I was about to get kicked out of the program because I didn't have the funds. It's like, God, God where are you? Where, where are you at in this? Matthew chapter 6 says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be. Jesus is talking about not worry, and a lot of times when it comes to money, we can't help but worry. It feels like that's our only option is to worry about money. And the issue isn't really money. The issue really is our heart. And God says we can only serve God or we will serve money in the ways of money. We don't get both. You either will serve one and despise the other or you'll serve one and, and, and give your life to one and, and walk away from the other. You can't expect money to be your God and God to be your God at the same time. It doesn't work. And all year long, I remember the Lord trying to get me to understand that my heart was actually in pursuit of the provision. My heart was not actually trying to pursue the Father who is the provider. I wanted the blessing. I didn't want the blesser. God is after your heart, friends. And there is nothing more connected to your heart than money. Your heart always tracks where your money goes, without question. That's why you buy something on Amazon, and all of a sudden you care what's happening in China, and in Minnesota, and in Nashville, because you bought something, you spent some money, you now have a tracking number, and your prized possession is stuck in some shipping warehouse in Nashville, like you never cared about Nashville and the weather, but you just want what you bought. Why? Because you're tracking it. Your heart always tracks 
where your money goes. Is God after your money? Nope. But he is after our heart. And a heart that says, God, it doesn't seem like provision coming. I didn't see this and I didn't see that. God's not after the thing. He wants you to fall in love with him with everything that you have. And at the end of the day, trust God. Don't trust the provision. Trust God. Surrender to him. And I think that's really what it comes back to again and again for me in my life in that, in that area. Yeah, that's so good. So uh, second question is related to uh, the idea of giving and, um, and money mm-hmm. is the question is, can I be generous and tithe something other than money? It's a great question. You can be generous in every arena of your life, but tithing relates to your money. So you can be generous with your time, generous uh, with your home, generous with other things that are in your life, absolutely 100%. You can be generous with compliments, be generous with your encouragement. You can be generous with a lot of things, but tithing relates to 10%, the first 10% that you bring back to the Lord through the local church undesignated. That's the tithe. You can say, well, what about 7%? Tithe literally means 10th, so no. That's not what it means. Uh, Malachi chapter 3, Jesus comes to the people and he says, I, the Lord, do not change. So the descendants of Jacob are not destroyed. Ever since the time of your ancestors, you've turned away from my decrees and have not kept them. Return to me and I will return to you. What's he really talking about? Your heart and your life and your pursuit and your passions aren't at me. They're at your own benefit. You're pursuing the wrong things, he says. But you ask, how are we to return? God replies, will a mere mortal rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how are we robbing you? In tithes and offerings, you are under a curse, your whole nation, because you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty. And see if I won't throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out such a blessing that there won't be room enough to store it. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops and the vines in your fields will stay, uh, will not drop their fruit before it is ripe. There won't be a bill that he won't help you with. There won't be holes in your pocket. You'll be able to budget well. Your investments, he'll make sure. Oh, wait, sorry. That was a remix of my own, my own, my own making. You will not drop the fruit before it's ripe, says the Lord Almighty. Tithing, I believe, is the training wheels of a surrendered life. If we're going to have a life surrendered, it really comes back to our heart. And nothing helps your heart surrender more than returning to God what he says is his in the first place. Jesus had told a parable in Luke chapter 20 about money. And the parable went something like this. There was an owner who owned some things and he gave to some of his stewards certain amount based on their ability to manage it. And he gave it to them and he says, when I return, we'll give an account. And so he goes away, comes back. One steward was like, hey, it's multiplied and grown. Another steward is like, hey, it multiplied and it grew. Another steward is like, I was afraid. I didn't want to do it. And so I hid it. And so here's the same amount that you gave to me. No worse, no better. Here it is. And the, the master was like, you wicked servant. 
Like if you knew I owned it all, why, why did you manage it that way? Jesus got done talking about this parable of, of stewardship and helping us understand that he owns it all and he gives it to us to manage. God owns it all, you get to manage it. And uh, then there were some really smart aleck people who were listening to the story and uh, they were really religious and they were like, all right, all right, I got you, I got you, I got you. Um, Jesus, you said that, that the Lord owns it all and we know we're supposed to give and tithe and give the Lord what belongs to the Lord and not rob from him. We, we know that. But, uh, but Caesar wants his cut too. I mean, taxes. So are you saying we should just pay the church and not pay Caesar? And Jesus says, bring me a coin. Whose face is on it? Well, Caesar's. Cool. Jesus says, give Caesar what is his, but give God what is his. What is Jesus talking? He's talking about your heart. Connected to your money. Your heart will always be connected to those things. And so if you're going to call something a tithe and walk in obedience with God, what it says about the tithe, then you have to do it what actually is a, a tithe. So can you tithe something other than finances according to Scripture? No, that's, that's what it is. It's bringing your first to the Lord. Why do we do First Wednesday prayer? Because there's something special that happens when you dedicate the first and you give it back to the Lord. That's why we do it on the first Wednesday of every month. Because there's something special that happens in our heart when we say, God, I'm going to give it to you. When you open your hands, when you open your hands, you actually open your heart. And when your heart gets open, heaven can open up and flood into your life. Does God need your money? No, but he absolutely wants your heart. And the two are explicitly connected. And so he's after your heart because he wants to open heaven and give you all of him in all that you can handle it. Amen? Amen. I love that God uses so many illustrations of how to unlock yeah. our hearts. Yeah, that's good. And, uh, which leads us into week three. Um, God wants me to be happy. Right? Doesn't he yes. want me to be happy? <laughs> um, that is the thing that God never said, that God wants me to be happy. Uh, the, the bottom line or the key point from that week is that happiness is a result, but it's not a good reason. Uh, in the passage we looked at there was 2 Corinthians 5, 7 that says, we live by faith, not by sight, or not by what I yeah. feel or yeah. see or yeah. want or desire. So uh, questions as we go into this. Um, so, uh, so you said that we need to pursue God, not happiness. Yeah. Well, so kind of what does that look like on just practical? Like, mm. Yeah, absolutely. I think pursuing God is, is the key. In John chapter 10, Jesus does a teaching uh, to his disciples. And in John 10, verse 10, he says, I have come that you could have a life and have it abundantly. In other words, to the full. In other words, in a way that you're living life, it is full, it is satisfying, and you recognize that you're blessed. In other words, there is a result that comes into your life when you allow Jesus to be the center and your shepherd. In that same conversation, Jesus tells his disciples, he says, I am the good shepherd. My sheep hear my voice. For those of you that have surrendered your life to Jesus, you're, you're following him. You are a quote-unquote sheep in the heavenly sheepfold, uh, and Jesus is your shepherd. And Jesus says, as your shepherd, I want you to have life. 
And one of the ways that you discover true life is when you know your shepherd is good and he wants to talk to you. In other words, you hear his voice. When you get to a point where you are learning to hear and you're practicing hearing from God on your own, faith begins to grow. Why? Because faith comes from hearing God. When you hear a word from God, your faith is built and it helps you move forward in faith rather than making a decision based on your emotional state in that moment. So we walk by faith, not by sight or not by some emotional sense that we feel in this moment where we're reacting to things. Instead, we're acting in faith. And that's where we want to live. That's what we want to do. And that's, that's why happiness, uh, it's really about hearing God. And so if you're going to pursue God more than you pursue happiness, get to know God's voice. Well, I've never heard from God. I'm not a professional Christian. You don't understand my life and my work. Can I, can I just let you know, if you have a heart that is saying, God, I love you, God wants to speak to you. Yeah. Yeah. How do I get to know God's voice? You read his word. And you give him an opportunity when was the last time you read the word and then just shut up for a few minutes and said, God, would you speak to me? What do you want to say to me? And just listen. Practice listening. He wants to speak to you. He will speak to you. And when God speaks a word to you, it builds your faith and you're ready to move forward. That's why so many times on Sundays, people will come in and uh, they'll say, we've, we hear, hear it often. Oh my goodness. It's like pastor was following me around all week long. It's exactly what I needed to hear. How did he know what was going on in my house? Does he have cameras? No, I don't. That would be weird. <laughs> A little creepy. But the Holy Spirit knows what you need. And he's speaking to me during the week as I'm studying, I'm praying, I'm, I'm sensing God, okay, this is what God wants to say to us collectively. And as you're hearing the words, even today, you're hearing some things and God is highlighting things that you need to hear. And it's growing, something is happening on the inside of you. That's called your faith growing. And as your faith starts to grow, you can start living and making decisions based on the faith rather than the emotional moment that you feel in that time. And that's what we want to do. So we want to pursue God and develop a friendship so that we can hear God speak to us personally. Right. Yeah, that's so good. Because God, it's not that he doesn't want us happy. It's, not, yeah. it's just not his first priority. Yeah. Right. right. So, so what part? Because it's a result. It's not the point. Right. Yeah. Right. So Most this is kind of similar but a little bit different. What part should our happiness play when trying to make a decision? Is it, is it mm. wrong for something to make us happy? It's not wrong for happiness to come into our lives, and God doesn't want our lives to suck. <laughs> However, when it comes to making a life decision or a decision at, at all, I don't care what Mary Kondo says, <laughs> happiness isn't the reason you should keep or throw something away. <laughs> Some of you are like, Mary who? Just Netflix it. <laughs> should I take this job? Well, am I going to be happy in this job? You won't know till you get in it. Who will know, God? Should you take this job if God says to? If God doesn't say to, then don't. But you can't make decisions based on will this make me happy or not because that's a really shallow way to live your life and you won't be fulfilled chasing happy, but you will be fulfilled and have an abundant life when you get to know your shepherd. Well, God works in mysterious ways, so, you know, maybe that so job we say. choice. <laughs> so week four, uh, we, we looked at the phrase, 
uh, that a phrase that God never said, God works in mysterious ways. And uh, again, I think that's a phrase that sometimes we offer when we just don't know what is going on. We don't have all the information. And uh, so we as believers will often kind of throw that out there. And uh, so here is the bottom line from that week's message. And uh, so bear with me. I'm going to read this here. It says, God gave us clues in Scripture about his will that point to Jesus who showed us his ways and imparts his spirit to rework his character in us. And I think that's so good. In Ephesians 1.9, that really opens up the idea of mystery. And it says, and he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ. Yeah. So good, so good. So, um, uh, it, so, and we don't have time to unpack the whole message, but yeah. it was so good. You can listen to that on the central hub. But so, here's the question then. Um, so, if we shouldn't say God works in mysterious ways, what can we? What would be a good response instead of that? Mm, yeah, because I don't think that phrase is actually one accurate or helpful. So, some other. Other things to say instead of that. How, how do we replace that phrase in our lives? Uh, here, here's some options. Uh, number one, oh my gosh, that, that is awesome. I'm so happy for you. Or, uh, man, I really can see how God's character is growing in you in this moment. I, I can see God at work in you. Oh, I'm so sorry. My heart hurts with yours. Man, I know you're grieving. Just know I'm here with you. I'm not going anywhere. I'm here. I'm here. Hey, just know you're loved. It's a great one to say. Man, I'm so thankful that we serve a God who's close to us when our hearts are broken. He promises to be close to us. I know he'll be close to you too. I'm praying for you. All much better responses than, well, you know, God works in mysterious ways. Much more personable, much more warm, much more reflective of God's heart for people and our ability to celebrate genuinely when they need to celebrate too. That's so good because sometimes there's emotions that we don't know how to respond, so we kind of deflect yeah. a little bit instead of being present in the moment. Yeah. It's so good. Yeah. So last thing, um, as this idea of God being mysterious, there, there is a passage in Isaiah 55 that says his ways and thoughts are higher than ours. So how do we reconcile that with him not being mysterious? It's so good. And, and, you know, we landed with this question and using it here at the end on purpose. Because a lot of times we, we hear that, well, God works in mysterious ways. And what we're trying to say is like, God is other than you and he's bigger than you and he's different than you. And so you just gotta, you know, I don't know. And we don't really know or see how God is working in a moment. And God is always working to help Jesus be seen, you to get closer and a, something of redemption to take place in whatever situation and scenario you find yourself. And a lot of times we read this in Isaiah 55 and it says, God's ways aren't your ways and his thoughts aren't your thoughts. So yeah. You need to understand as Isaiah 55 is actually about salvation. 
that, that God has the ability to rescue and save people that you would think they're beyond saving. It, it has to do with this sense of like, I'm judging them because they're this and they're that. And God's like, don't write them off. Like, like your priority is different than my priority. You would punish them in this way, in this way. And I'm sitting here, God's saying, I'm gonna be gracious and long suffering with them. And it's true, the priority of heaven is often different than our own personal priority. And we have to reset our minds to, to the priority that God sets for our lives. We have to reset the priorities that it looks for our marriage. We have to reset the priorities that it looks for parenting, with our money, with every area of our lives. We have to reset the priority so it lines up more with His priority. And when we do that, we actually discover a new sense of life. Because God's got some things figured out that you don't yet. And what he wants for your life is his best to be experienced in every season, no matter if the moment is entirely bitter for you. God still wants his best to show up. Well, how's he gonna do it? You staying submitted to him. You getting close to him. You leaning in for his voice and his whisper and his secrets that he wants to share with you. That's how. It's this moment of surrender before the Lord that's actually how those mysterious ways actually are discovered and experienced. God's not really all that mysterious. He loves you. He's for you. He wants you close. He wants to redeem whatever brokenness you're experiencing. That's God's ways. The question is, have you stopped long enough to surrender to him? Or are you too busy being a skeptic because something has happened and you haven't figured out why yet? I get it. Asking why is a really human thing to do. But can I just let you know, you're not God. And if we knew everything, not only would we not need God, it would reinforce the idea that we think we are our own God. So it's not so much why something happens. I think the better question always is, God, what are you doing now? What are you doing now? What are you doing now? You know what he's doing? He's waiting to draw you close. He's waiting to draw you closer to himself so that he can begin to speak life to you and to help you move forward in a way where you see brokenness, pieced back together in a beautiful mosaic of life. And you see his redemption and his hope and his passion for you evident. That's what he's after. He's after your heart. Will you bow with me as we wrap up in prayer? Father, today I pray that these words Give us a heavenly perspective, an eternal perspective. One that, one that helps us identify you in the midst of whatever it is that we're facing, whatever we're walking through. Lord, Lord we're, we're not arrogant enough to think that, you know, four questions and a four-week series solves all of our life's problems. Lord, that's not how it works. It is a journey. It is a process. 
but it's in this journey that we really truly want to surrender and give you all of our hearts. God, may, may our doubts not cause us to walk away from you, but may they help us study and become practitioners of what we see is true in your word. Father, we thank you for it. Today, God, I pray that if anyone here would be away from you, that in this moment they would simply say, Jesus, I need you, I believe in you, and I surrender to you. And Lord, that you would draw us to you, bring us into your family, and make us sons and daughters in those moments. Lord, we thank you for it in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen.